Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I'm really excited to have Adam Duckworth and John Garippa on the podcast. And one of the things I love about this podcast is, you know, obviously, we love to talk to leaders who have had the kind of success stories you read about in books and you hear about at conferences. I mean, we've had uh, the leaders of North Point Church, Life Church. I mean, Craig Rochelle. We had Brian Houston on recently from Hillsong. Um, you know, Mark Batterson from NCC in Washington, D.C., and so many other leaders of large churches and staff at large churches. We featured Mars Hill, Elevation Church, and so on. I mean, spectacular stories where God has taken a church from like zero to a thousand in, in 10 minutes. I mean, you know that kind of story. But for the most of us, I mean, we're just plugging away in the trenches. And I think you're going to be so encouraged because what we do today is we sit down with Adam and John. They are months into planting a church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, downtown Harbor Church. And we just go through the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs. And there's like, they're just in the trenches and we're going to pull all the lessons we possibly can from them out of the trenches how, what they're learning, what's gone well, what has not gone well, what their approach is, why they planted downtown and so forth, because, you know, that's the stuff that you and I do every day, right? So I think you're just going to love this. And Adam and John are fantastic leaders. You might know Adam because he wrote a book with Sue Miller called Not Normal. It's all about volunteering. Fantastic book. We'll link to it in the show notes. And Adam and John are just brilliant leaders. You're going to love hearing from them. Hey, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors for this episode. So first of all, want to thank EA Help. And EA Help is somebody I've come to know personally over the last little while. We had Brian Miles as a guest on the podcast uh, about a year ago, so you can find the link to that in the show notes. And he's the CEO. But I had a situation where uh, my assistant of seven years, who Sarah Piercy, who is on episode 90, we kind of deconstructed everything that we kind of did together in leadership, uh, where she told me a few months ago she was pregnant. And congratulations to her and her husband, Justin, on the birth of their son, Isaac. We are so thrilled for them. An amazing young man has come into this world. And so Sarah's off for a little while. So we're thrilled for them. Like my wife, Tony, and I were just thrilled for Justin and Sarah. But it left me going, oh, my goodness, those are huge shoes to fill. And I had to figure out what to do. So I immediately thought of EA Help, gave him a call. And you know, the amazing thing is, I mean, I don't have the most complicated life, but it's a little bit complicated. I mean, I work at our church full time. I teach there. I help out there. Um, I've got this podcast. I've got a blog. I've got um, speaking engagements. I speak all over the place, all over the world, actually. And and to walk into the middle of that life and be able to like pick up all the pieces um, from someone who's going on maternity leave is is a tall order. And EA Health has done a fantastic job. I mean, my new assistant, her name's Sarah as well, keeps things simple. And Sarah's done a great job. So, 
you know, I, I have help half time in this department. You may only need five hours a week or 10 hours a week, or you may need somebody full time. You may need someone just to do some very light work, or you may need someone to basically almost run the thing for you. Um, EA help can help and you can discover them. They're in the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 92, or you can just go straight to eahelp.com for more information. So also want to thank Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. This is an organization I got to know, oh, probably about five years ago when we started our first building project. And Joe Sangle's been a guest on the podcast. Again, I'll link back to that in the show notes so you can listen to Joe. He's a fantastic leader, become a great friend, and enjoy stewardship solutions. Basically gets your vision fully funded. And what they're going to come on board with is they're going to help us with... um, the email that I do, I send out an email to almost 30,000 leaders now who subscribe to my blog. And if you haven't subscribed to my blog via email, you can just do that at kerryneuhoff.com, fill out your email address and boom, we'll make sure you get this. And we're about to make sure that um, the people who subscribe via email are extremely well served. So we're going to make some major changes, add some new content, um, communicate a little more regularly via email and enjoy stewardship solutions is doing that. And you know, the cool thing is if you subscribe via email, you'll also get this blog every Tuesday. So how about that? That's going to be cool. So thank you to Enjoy for that. You can find out more from Enjoy at enjoystewardship.com or again, just check the show notes. So hey, without much further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Adam Duckworth and John Garippa from downtown Harbor Church, brand new church plant in Southern Florida. Well, John, Adam, guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, give us the quick background on uh, how you guys met, because you've worked together before, and uh, <laughs> how you decided to plant a church. Because this is, you know, I don't know how many episodes we're in now, lots. And I don't think we've ever really done like a church plant from scratch conversation. So this is a lot of right. fun for me. So, well, Carrie, I'm super excited to be here. I'll kind of start and then... And this is Adam, by the way. This is so Adam. You can get used to the voices. This is Adam. You can get used to the voices. Um, I had uh, worked at a church in Fort Lauderdale, um, to, and I was helping them implement the Orange Strategy with their family ministry for mm-hmm. years. And about a year and a half into my tenure there, I met John Garippa, who was the discipleship pastor. And there was just this stirring in both of our hearts that... Um, of people in our community did not engage with church at all. It's a very high number down here in South Florida. Yeah, that's crazy, man. It is crazy. 80% in South Florida. 87% is actually sad. You can almost Almost, be Canadian. Congratulations. Oh, wait, you are Canadian. You're in Florida. (laughs) Anyway, we send all of our people down there in in the winter. They're great drivers, too. Oh, are we really? (laughs) I think Americans are like much better drivers than Canadians. Whoops. I'm in trouble with my country now. (laughs) We need to start over again. Okay. Anyway, I digress. Tell me. So yeah, I mean, we're totally similar in the numbers of people up there and down here who do not go to church. So we really wanted to figure out how we could create something so that our family and friends who we knew personally that didn't engage with church would have a fighting chance at a relationship with God, at an wow. opportunity to engage with the church. So John and I had talked about it for years. I mean, we really had gone back and forth and picked some you know, things apart. And then um, there came a point in time where we just said, this is something that we need to do and we need to figure out how to get it done. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so yeah, John, yeah. When, when did you join uh, the church in Fort Lauderdale? So you guys were, like in many church plant cases, on staff together at a church and then went out to plant your own. Correct. Well, so I was actually a member uh, at the church that Adam was working at. And in the second year of my seminary training, I came on as an intern 
uh, at that particular church. And day one, literally, I showed up day one. This is not a joke. Day yeah. one, I showed up and my job was to go to Camp Kid Jam. Okay. And so I showed up on Monday at 7 a.m. and I got in the van with this guy, Adam, who I'd never met before. And I drove up to Camp Kid Jam, which, number one, if you're a leader and you don't send your kids to Camp Kid Jam, you need to. I mean, it's right, awesome. Right, right, right. But yeah. if you're not big into kids, like which I'm not, it was quite the experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're I, not was, into kids and you're at Camp Kid Jam. It was qu- quite the experience. But it gave me a chance to meet Adam, to spend a lot of time with him in the car. And then develop a relationship over the next couple of years, which we're really, we're best friends. I mean, hmm. I hate, hate to say that, but we are, in fact, best friends, you know. He doesn't uh, admit that publicly a lot, Carrie, but, that, you That's know, okay. It's out mixed now. Mixed company. Now. Both but, listeners are fascinated by it. Um, <laughs> hey, by the way, some leaders are going to be trying to connect the dots here, and they're like, wait a minute. Adam Duckworth, Camp Kid Jam, Orange, Live to Serve. Yes, it's the same Adam Duckworth. And you and I work together with Reggie Joyner, Adam, which is how yes. we know each other. And you do the Orange Tour and Camp Kid Jam and about a million other things with Orange. And now you planted a church. So that Correct. just connects the dots with, uh, with everything. And you wrote a book with Sue Miller called Live to Serve. And a not, second not, book with Sue. Or sorry, not, not Live to Serve. Not sorry, normal. that's a conference. Not normal. Yes. And now you've got, a, uh, you've got the Live to Serve conferences that Correct. you guys do. That's correct, yeah. And, Sue Miller uh, is such a fun person. I know she's been on the podcast before, and yeah. she is just a ball of energy to work with. Sue and I love to talk all things volunteers. So we wrote Not Normal to Volunteers and then Leading Not Normal Volunteers to Leaders Who Lead Volunteers, and we've done that in the past two years. It's been such a fun journey. So that's me. Yeah. So you guys you guys are young, too. Like, Can I ask you how old you are? I'm 34. Yeah. 33. Yep. So you guys right in the millennial pocket decide to branch out on your own. You started at a church in your 20s. And so adult discipleship, and then you were over all of family ministry and kids men. Correct. Correct. And And Carrie, about our ages, I'm so glad you asked about that because there was a point in time, probably right after I turned 30, where my vision started to go bad and I had to get glasses for the first time. And I started to- They're stylish, Adam. I appreciate it. I I, I think so. Mm -hmm. But so, but I started to think to myself, I'm only going to be this age once, and I'm only going to have the influence that I'm going to have at this age of my life right now. So that was almost a turning point for us to go, hey, listen, we've got to do this sooner than later. Really? So 30 was kind of a big wake-up call for both of you? It was a wake-up call for me. Wow. You know, he was, he was pushing, let's call it, starting a church for two or three years, and I was not fully convinced about doing it. I mean, I was new to the church world. Granted, I had been a Christian my whole life, and yeah. I'd gone to church my whole life, but I was in the business world. So that's what I knew, and this idea of starting a church was like a little intimidating, to be quite honest with you. What'd you do in business? Because we do have a lot of business leaders listening. Well, I guarantee I'm the only person that's done this on your podcast. I was okay. a rare book dealer. No way! Seriously, yeah. John? I yeah. didn't know that about you. I was a rare book dealer. I uh, ran my own business, and my whole job was sort of buying and selling collections and curating private collections and that kind of a thing. So I got to meet incredible people. I got to see some awesome stuff. Um, but yeah, that's what I did prior to this. Oh, you must have a killer library. That's fun. Not too bad. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like he was saying, we got to a point where we said, we work at a great church and we're in a city with tremendous churches and yet 87% are not going to them. So mm-hmm. there, there's something going on. There's something these churches are not doing to impact this particular group. And I kind of said to Adam, well, you know, the majority of my friends don't go to church. Um, In fact, most of them don't. And the majority of my family don't. And why don't we just ask them? 
you know, and that sort of set off the course to say, let's talk to them about why they're not going and to see what we can do about it. So you guys had options. I mean, obviously, you could have stayed at the existing church, which is a big and influential church in your city. Another option would have been to find uh, a church that might take you on that was existing and needed a turnaround. We've done a number of podcast episodes about turnaround churches, most recently with Brian Wangler. Um, But you decided to plant. Why did you guys decide that planting was the best option for you? Here's I'll I'll give you my perspective and then John can chime in after after me. I felt Carrie so strongly that even with the tremendous churches in our community, if 87% of people still aren't going to them, then we had to start from the ground up and establish a new brand because right. there's already an existing uh, mentality that exists about those organizations and good organizations, but there's already a mentality that exists and they're not going there. So we had to figure out a way that we could create our own brand, our own uh, platform that people would see as a new thing that they might be interested in engaging with. Okay. John, any other different take on that or angle on that? Why did you decide, hey, I'm in on a plant? You know, the thing was that once we had spent time talking to our friends and family about why they're not going to church, it became clear that it would be difficult to make these changes to an existing church. Mm. Too much would have to be, let's call it, ripped up and torn up for not only the the leadership there, but the membership to kind of be okay with that, you know? Because what we found is that on staff, even if it's a, a traditional staff, they're willing to do what it takes. But can you bring the membership along? That's the difficulty. Yeah. You know. So let me ask you guys, like when you, I, I talked to a lot of church planters and, um, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there, there was, you know, if you did like the band and uh, a more modern style of message, you could be very unique in your community. And one of the challenge, not challenges, but one of the realities that I think a lot of church leaders are facing is we used to be, as Andy Stanley says, the only hot dog stand in town, but now there's 50. Correct. Is your city like that? Did it like, are you just replicating in a slightly different way, something that's already been done? in your community or like, is it a unique footprint that you're, I mean, everybody thinks they're unique, right? You know, everybody says their children are special. My mom thinks I'm special, <laughs> right? But like, my dog is very special. Your dog here. is very special. We all right? know that. It's a dog of Instagram, Adam. So, <laughs> yes, um, so tell me like, what, were there a lot of churches trying to do this in your city or what made you say, yeah, but we still got a unique voice. That's, that's where I'm trying to go with this. So one of the things that we found when talking to people is that, Generally speaking, folks who don't go to church don't have an issue with how church operates. Meaning, okay. if, it's, if you play louder music, that's fine. If, you guy wear, if the guy wears jeans, fine, whatever. That's not really making a difference. And yet most churches around us said, well, if we play louder music and we start dressing cooler, then they're going to come in. And what we mm-hmm. found was that's not what was keeping them away. There was a lot of other stuff going on that was keeping them away. So we said... Let's do church normally. I mean, if you were to come to downtown Harbor Church on a Sunday, it basically looks the same. Am I right, Adam? It, yeah, it does. But one of the things that we did, Carrie, is we asked people, our friends and family who didn't go, what are the things that you hate about church? Because we know that you don't go and engage, and we're pretty much going to look similar, but we've kind of removed all of the things that they hate about church. So we actually have five things that they told us that were so interesting, and we've kind of branded these things, and we put them out there. The first one is that it's a waste of time, that mm. this in my life doesn't really make a difference to me at all. And I have very little knowledge when I leave of what is actually being said from the stage. I can't take it and take any of it with me. So it's a waste of my time. The second one is conditional acceptance. 
Hmm. That really they tell me I'm welcome, but at the end of the day, when I go to sign up or to plug in or to become a quote unquote member, they're not really going to let me in unless I check all these boxes. So we don't have membership at our church. We have no affiliation to any kind of documents that people have to sign or classes they have to go to. It literally is a come as you are. So. Those are Man. two, John. You want to go through? Can, can, you, can you go through all five? This is yeah, fascinating yeah, because that I think was... you guys are making a really good point. And I think what a lot of church leaders are discovering is that wearing jeans, spending money on some lights, and like modernizing the music doesn't guarantee that unchurched people are going to flood in. I love the fact that you listened. So just repeat those really quickly. Okay, no, so waste of two, time. Waste of time. Conditional acceptance, and I'll let John go through the other three. Yeah, I want to just um, camp out on conditional acceptance real quick, if we can, because I yeah. think this one more than any of the other ones, has what set us apart. What we kind of say is that we're not interested in solely interested in dogma. We want to have a dialogue, meaning at Downtown Harbor Church, it's our job to educate you guys about the teachings of Jesus and what the Bible has to say, but it's not our job to indoctrinate you. Hmm. Meaning, if you disagree with us on something, that's okay. We still want you here anyway, because you've got to give people the room to grow at their own pace and to feel comfortable in your church if they disagree with you on a topic. That's why they come to us. That's why they feel so comfortable. So that's the conditional acceptance. The other one, and this is a big one, politics. This was the main one that people said over and over and over again, politics. So we say politics has been one of the major distractions in the American church. It has no point being there. We don't talk about it anytime. It is you're never going to see anything on our Facebook about politics. We so got politics, you mean like the election, or do you mean uh, people fighting with each other? Uh, the election. Okay, gotcha. Yep. In other words, this is not a Republican or a Democrat or an independent church. Exactly. Or, exactly. This is gotcha. a we don't touch it with a ten foot pole in any way, shape, or form because no matter what you do when you talk about politics, you lose because you alienate fifty percent of your crowd immediately. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Florida is a pretty political state. I mean, it's a big swing state that determines an awful lot. Absolutely. I mean, and we would go as far as to say we wouldn't invite an elected official up onto stage or we wouldn't, you know, recognize, recognize someone crowd just because if you're here, you're just the person here. We're not going to put a spotlight on you. Wow. Uh, wow. The turnoff. It's okay, turn-off. so politics. Politics is number three. Walk us um, through four and five, John. <clears throat> the other one they said is fake. Basically, hmm. a lot of folks said, yeah, but you know, when I go to church, I'll see my neighbor there on Sunday and he acts completely different than the guy that I see across from the fence on a Friday night. Um, hmm. And so we just encourage our folks, be yourself. Just be yourself. And furthermore, let me go a step further. They would say that about people who work there, that <laughs> like people who work there are not the same people on Sunday versus Monday. And so what we've prided ourselves on is that you could see us ministering to a family um, during the week. You could see us by somebody's hospital bed if a family needed help or they needed some counsel, whatever the case is. And you could see us at happy hour on a Friday night because we're trying to be normal and engaging with our communities. We are not going to hide in any way, shape, or form who we are. And so often churches do that. Leadership does not express themselves fully because they feel like they can't. And we wanted to strip that away. That's really good. Um, And the final one, is what they've kind of called inward focused, which means that Mm -hmm. many churches will create their own events. And they kind of have this mentality that they'll say, we'll create our own events and the people around us will come to us. Right. That doesn't really ever work. (laughs) I mean, basically what you do is you, you spend all your time creating these events for your church members and they're the only ones who show up. So what we say is this, at Downtown Harbor Church, 
we do not create our own events. Rather, we get involved with the city's already doing. So once a month, we go to the Fort Lauderdale Jazz Brunch. We go to the Boat Parade. We go to the St. Patty's Day Parade. Whatever the city's doing, if it's good, we go to that and we get our folks plugged into that. And it's been, that's been transformational. Carrie, let me tell you a couple, just a quick yeah. story about this Fort Lauderdale. Uh, the Fort Lauderdale has this huge, like, cr- this Winterfest boat parade. Fort Lauderdale's the yachting right. capital Winterfest, of the so world. that means it's like, what, 70 degrees? 72, right. okay. 73. Yeah. So right. they, Fort Lauderdale has this huge boat parade, and our church kind of went and put up our flags. And what we found is people who were attending downtown Harbor Church felt much more comfortable inviting their friends to a city event than they did to check out the church. Hmm. So what happened was people would start to bring their friends to these city events, and they would actually say to us, You guys are a church. You seem fairly normal. And I will tell you, if we had 10 people show up who were guests to that Winterfest boat parade, eight of them are currently coming to downtown Harbor Church. Wow. That's cool. So they, they've engaged with us and said, oh, I want to check you guys out. And they've stuck. And they have, I mean, these people have had no affiliation with church ever. It's crazy to see. I'm going to do something a little bit spontaneous here because we always do show notes for these episodes. Those five things you list are fascinating and I think they really are unique. It just feels fresh to me. I really don't think I've heard other church leaders talk about it. Would you guys be willing to do a quick summary of those five points that we can put in the show notes for leaders? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. Absolutely. So you can just go to the show notes. I'll, I'll tag it at the end of this interview when we get the episode number and everything, but it's just kerryneuhoff.com. Those five points will be in the show notes. And uh, guys, that's a contribution to the kingdom. That's huge. Thank you Thanks, so man. much. So. Oh. Thanks. Fascinating. Now, you guys also have a unique leadership structure. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, because, you know, you're starting from scratch, which means you're starting with zero people and away you go. Uh, but you started with staff on day one. So tell us how you structured the church. Should we talk about position titles? First? Yeah, position kind of titles. Sure. So about two years ago in the foundation of the church, we actually brought in two Christian psychologists from uh, Marshall University. And we wanted to talk to them about basically first human nature mm-hmm. and number two, how do people think who have kind of been burned before? Because we're trying to reach the 87%. And we talked about that. And at one point, one of the psychologists says, you know, you guys are quote unquote redefining the church experience. That's our, that's our mission statement hmm. in downtown. And she goes, let me challenge you about the titles you're going to be using for yourself. Because when people hear the word pastor, Okay, they've got a preconceived notion of what a pastor is. Maybe it's good or maybe it's bad, but they've Mm -hmm. got a preconceived notion of what that looks like. And if you're trying to redefine the experience, might I challenge you to think about a different title? And so Adam and I sat back and we said, well, what are we actually doing here? Let's talk about Adam. Adam is his title is lead communicator, right? Lead communicator. And we said, why did we choose that? Number one. Because his main job is to communicate on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he's one of many communicators. So he's the lead communicator. I chose executive director because I'm just doing all the rest of the stuff, all the business right. end. And so that worked great for us. Um, Adam, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I just felt like, Carrie, I used the story from time to time that when I uh, fly a lot on planes and I would tell people what I do and the pastor word would come out, mm-hmm. they would disconnect from me. Yeah, I so, have the same experience. So I generally, I, I never use that word any anymore, but... Um, what we said was if we're going to do something different and this church is going to be different and all the things that we've already described, then our titles should reflect that. And so we started um, 
with John and myself um, on staff. And then we had two contract folks who um, are also working with us. One is our music leader, him and his wife um, studied at Hillsong. And then our family ministry lead, we have a very unique situation with her. And she's about to come on board um, full time with us. But when she started, she was a senior at the University of Florida. Hmm. And she would only come down once a month. We had some other key volunteers who were point people, but she would organize. And the University of Florida is about five hours away from us. So she would organize during the week, and then she would come down once a month, and some other folks would run point on Sunday. We did this strategically because we knew in the beginning that we were probably going to be small, that we weren't going to be explosive right out of the gate because very few church plants are. So we said in terms of resources and making sure that we had proper leadership in place, we were going to do that from a family ministry perspective. And with my history, I was able to help manage that um, when she was not able to as well, which worked out really, really well for us. Tell us a little bit, because you and I share a common commitment to reaching families. And I was just looking at the numbers at Conexus Church, and our family numbers have gone through the roof in 2016, like just exponential growth. Cool. Um, what What are you... Like you, you seeded this with families in mind. So tell us just a couple of why you did that. And then what are some of the keys to reaching families? I've always thought that kids and family ministry was so important. In fact, I believe it's the most important thing that you can do in a church. I will continue to believe that. And so we put a high, high emphasis on our families that come. So we create programming based around groups uh, and environments for preschoolers and kids. And it is the most fun programming that these kids can come to during their week. They build relationships with a leader. They build relationships with their peers. And we are so excited about that. And I believe that we put the highest emphasis on that at Downtown Harbor Church because I believe that family ministry is so important. And I believe that it's important that I came from where I came from in family ministry because it's difficult a lot of times for senior leaders to understand how important family ministry is. There's still in so many churches this mentality that, oh, well, as long as they're taken care of or it's babysitting or whatever. Yeah, they're down the hall and quiet. They're down the hall and quiet. They're not disturbing us, the you know seasoned adults. Well, we don't believe that at all. Hmm. Another thing that we have done, which is so cool, is we have put the highest emphasis on volunteering for teenagers. We believe the most important thing that you can do is leverage leverage the influence that a teenager has so that they will, when they leave us, know what it's like to be the church because we've given them the opportunity to be the church when they're with us. Hmm. So all of our teenagers who come to Downtown Harbor Church are plugged into volunteering, and it is so cool to watch them serve. That's cool. Well, let's talk about ups and downs because you guys, by the time this hits the air, you'll be seven or eight months old. We're uh, recording this at the six month mark. So this is a legit like startup church in the early, early days. Right. Share some ups and downs with us on, let's talk about funding. I mean, you've started with a team of four. So that's not entirely uncommon in startup world, but a lot of people still go out and they're just like solo it's like a sole practitioner in law, right? It's just me right. and I'll try to rally the troops. So how did you get funding to start the church? So <clears throat> the way that I wanted to handle funding with the church is I wanted to treat the church kind of like a university uh, okay. in, the sense, in the sense that students at a university give back with service and sometimes they actually give back dollars as well. Mm -hmm. But a university is really funded by alumni or people who want to support that university. So early on, what we did is I basically traveled Florida 
and spoke to people around the country and pitched the vision of this church. And what people did was they fell in love with Downtown Harbor Church. They fell in love with this idea that this unique institution existed that would reach perhaps people like their children, like their siblings, like their parents. And they said, I want to make this thing a part of my ministry. I want to give to this church. I want to help support this church. So as it stands, even today, I would say 90% of our funding is coming from folks outside of downtown Harbor Church. So you got all these angel investors. (laughs) Yes. People have said, we like what you're doing. We want to help you. Uh, And in fact, we want to help make sure you guys can run until you're self-sufficient. Um, so thank God for those folks, you know, they're listening. I'm sure I just want to thank you guys because we can't do it without them. We really can't. Um, now in terms of funding inside the church, as you know, it's, it's difficult to get people to give. Um, and what's interesting, before we go there, wait a minute, you just made that sound so easy. I just traveled around Florida, around the country, (laughs) and now we're 90% funded by outside investors. Okay. People are going to be like, okay, I need more. I need more. (laughs) <laughs> what what were some of the keys? And, and you know, this isn't a whole fundraising thing. I talked to Joe Sangle and Chris Brown about finances earlier on the podcast, but uh, in other episodes, but like, just give me a couple of nuggets. Like, how did you, how did you do that? So, I mean, disclaimer, I kind of grew up in a family that did nothing but fundraising. So, okay. I, okay, so I, I went to a prep school where my folks were heavily involved with fundraising. Uh, when I was at Wake Forest University, I worked in the development office for four years. So it was kind of something gotcha. that I had seen. The biggest piece of advice that I can give people listening is you need to create a story. You need to be able to tell a story about where you've come and where you're going. Because if people are going to get on board with your, your vision and your church or whatever it is, they want to make sure they understand where you're going. And it has to be a compelling story. And if you create a vision that people believe and get on board with and they trust you, then they're willing to help you out. And that's basically all that I can really say. Um, Terry, I have just an interjection as well. This was because of John's unique history and background. When I met him, I knew that it had been on my heart for a long time to start my own organization and, and go out and help plant a church that would reach people. But when I met John the light bulb went off that I needed the right partner to do this with. And John and I complement each other perfectly in terms of our history and our gifts and um, the way that we work together. And so I would encourage folks watching who uh, are thinking about or listening, people who are thinking about planting a church, all that kind of a thing, definitely make sure that you're partnering up with the right people in the right gift mix, because that has been essential to our success very early on. Hmm. That's really good to know. And you know what, John? I mean, there'd be some people who would just like, oh, well, you know, if I grew up in a fundraising family, then I'd be raising money too. But I think what you shared, I mean, that gave you a shortcut, but it was no guarantee of success. And I think that idea about the why behind the what, you know, tell them the story. It's not just, hey, we're planting a church we need you to give. There's a thousand churches planting, but why ours? Why this? Why you? Is that sort of where you were going with that? Absolutely. And here's the other thing that I can just sort of one of the things that bothered me when it comes to the church is that I've, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this, but there's not, when it comes to the church and giving, and particularly when it comes to givers, individual folks, there's almost, it's like we don't really respect them. It's a, and it's a sense that we feel like there's an obligation for them to give. Hmm. Um, and there's a sense that we kind of guilt them into giving. And I think that when it comes to universities, they have a deep respect for individuals. Uh, and I think we just need to be careful when we approach people about money, that we shouldn't expect them to give. 
Uh, particularly if it's someone who has wealth, we shouldn't expect a person to give just because they have a lot of money. Right. Um, you know, so let's treat them with respect. They're not just simply an open wallet. Um, you know, and just because you've got a great idea doesn't mean they have to give to you. Um, I hope people heard so that. It, I mean, it's the truth. And the bottom line is this. And I don't, you know, Adam and I always say like, oh, we're getting a little spiritual here. You have to really, <laughs> you've got to let the Holy Spirit do his work. You've yeah. got to let the Holy Spirit do his work. You cannot force people to give. In fact, when you try to force people to give, the likelihood of them giving goes down. It goes really? down. The high you know, pressure we, tactics just don't work. It's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Uh, and so that's kind of even in terms of, you know, Sunday morning giving. That's how we approach that one as well. Mm. Carrie, can I also say one more thing about just to piggyback on that? It's interesting when you talk about the story and when John talked about the story, because here's the truth about most churches is that they would say that the story of Jesus is their story. Right. And that's that's true. But that makes all of them the same. So why would someone who wants to help move the kingdom of God forward just feel obligated to give to the church that is the same as the other one. So that's why we wanted to really early on create a unique story for ourselves. And it has been captivating for people who are wanting to give. And those five things that we mentioned earlier, that is like when we talk to people about those five things, it's like, oh my gosh, I want to help support and I want to be a part of and how can I help you because this could actually help change the world and our community. So give me the elevator pitch. If you had 30 seconds to convince me to give to your church, what does it sound like? Oh, gosh. Sean? Yeah. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Put you on the spot. One of the things that I always, I always say to folks, I say, I believe that the message of Jesus Christ is real. We believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. Yet, if that's the case, if Jesus is the Son of God, if we believe the Bible is true, then why aren't? 87% of the people in my area not going to church. But where's the disconnect? And the question is that when you actually ask them, you say, what's the problem? What's going on? Generally speaking, no one has a problem with Jesus. No one has a problem with God. Because you ask the nation, they'll say, oh, it's just that's the depraved nation we're in. That's why they're not going. No, that's not the case. What they tell you is that they hate things about church. They hate this about church. They hate that about church. And when you tally up, all of the things that they hate about church, what you learn is that those things are the very things that the church should hate about church. And so here at Downtown Harbor Church, what we've set out to do is remove those obstacles. They don't belong there. They are keeping people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need your help to do that because we believe that you have children who hate church, you have parents who hate church, and these things need to be removed. You know, I'm going to get my checkbook real quick. That's helpful. And it's a challenge for leaders. It is much harder to be clear than it is to be confusing. And it's hard to be succinct. But I think that's fantastic. That's very, very compelling. And I ask you because I hope leaders walk away and go, what's my 30 seconds? And obviously, I put you on the spot. You might say it a little bit differently in every context. But You know, it's just important to be able to say it. And I think you said it extremely well, John. Okay, so let me ask you how, just real quick, because we got to, I want to ask you a bunch of other questions before we're done today. But like, do you, what is your plan to move it from 90% outside investment to a self-supporting, fully funded church? Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult one. So here's a story, and I want to say this because I think it's important for church leaders to hear. My contractor came to church 
eight weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I wouldn't say his name, but he would totally allow me to say this story. He and his fiance are getting close to getting married and they're looking to get involved in a church. And he, and he came to church and afterwards he stopped me. And he goes, John, I want to tell you something. I've visited many churches in this city and here's what I've learned. They tell me that I have to believe in Jesus. And in order to do so, I have to give 10% of my money. Mm. Now, you and I both know that's not probably what they're saying. Yeah. But this is what this man heard. It's what he feels like. This is what he heard, and this is what he feels like. And the fact of the matter is that in this 87%, they believe that churches are obsessed with money. Mm. Obsessed with money. And you know what? They're right. Mm. They're right. They, we don't handle giving right. We don't handle tithing right. We don't handle... We're just, we've lost class when it comes to it. Um, and so what we do at Downtown Harbor Church is we kind of say this. We give the soft sell every Sunday, and it's simply this. I get up, I welcome them, and I say, hey, guys, listen, if you're interested in tithing, if you're interested in giving, you can do it two ways. You can do it on the way out, or you can go online. We appreciate what you do to us. You know, we can't do it without you, and that's all we say. That's all we say. Hmm. Um, and we kind of leave it up to the Holy Spirit to take it from there, because if people want to give they know whether or not they're going to give that day. Um, and if we spend any more time pushing folks to give, we may lose them. We mm. may lose. So are our plates emptier than they might be? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, um, we're willing to risk that because it's getting folks in the door and it's allowing them to come week in and week out and hear more about Jesus instead of getting turned off right away. Um, so, but in ter- to answer your original question, how do we move that 90% up? Um, it's just going to take working time. on it. We're yeah, going to start up. It's month because, six. You know, sixty-seven uh, percent uh, of most folks do not tithe when it comes into their mm-hmm. church. You know, mm-hmm. and so we're not too far off right now. But it's just going to take time. Yeah. That's simply the answer. I think one of the development points for us at Connexus Church has been turning a lot of our insiders into those outside investors who say, "Hey, we just need to help you." build this and will you help us? And it's amazing how many people are willing to do it. All right, let's talk about recruiting volunteers. Adam, I want to hit yeah. you up on this because you wrote two books on this. I so, did. Uh, tell us, how do you get volunteers? Because you guys, did you start with a core? Were there like 20 or 30 people who said, yeah, we're going with you? Or how did we that had, happen? We had 18. 18, all right. 18. Who Pardon were, my exaggeration. No, we're our core. And so we met in some pre-meetings last summer. So we actually went through some content um, from a couple of folks that we love, Andy Stanley and Reggie Joyner, yeah. who um, are just great. And we really wanted to cast some vision through some of the things we had heard them say. And then at the end um, of that time together, I basically got up and I said, now here's the deal. We need you all to volunteer. You are the team that is helping to start this church. So basically, at the beginning, you don't have a choice. You're going to volunteer. And every one of them agreed. And they're still (laughs) volunteering to this day, which is exciting. That's cool. Now, Carrie, the people who've subsequently come into the church after that, we're small enough still where we're able to engage with them one-on-one. And so people will ask us, what can I do to help? What do you need? Our first thing is we always will tell them what we need them to do with volunteering. But we've also said we want these people to grow at their own pace in the Mm -hmm. first six months of establishing this church. So in our current series, it's a five-week series called Take a Walk that we are doing, um, and it's about the 
it's about the people who were kind of eyewitnesses to Jesus, kind of people who were closest to him and their um, experiences with him. Hmm. And after that, I'm doing two weeks on volunteering and I'm going to talk to people, not about the fact that we need volunteers. That is not what I'm going to say, but I'm going to talk to people about how, why it's so important for them to volunteer because it's wisest for them to invest bigger in someone else's life because there's simply so much for them to gain. Yeah. And yeah. so we are going to talk about volunteering and how essential that is to being a part of Downtown Harbor and plugging into this community and serving those around you. And I anticipate probably quintupling our volunteer numbers in two weeks because I've just been good throughout my life at telling people that's what they need to do. And the only reason that I know that is because I started as a volunteer. Right. So I'm a success story. So it's not, it's, and it's not an ego thing. That's just being very truthful. I knew that I, when I first signed up to volunteer, that it was the most important thing that I could ever do. And so we're walking people through that individually. We will make the hard pitch from the stage. And John is so funny because I can see his face. Gosh, he is so humble, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. And it's so funny because I gave a quote from not normal in a message a couple of weeks ago and john texted me right after i got off stage he's like thanks for promoting your own book from the stage yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like i didn't even talk i didn't even say the title of the thing but it was yeah. just funny yeah our favorite joke like so audience are probably saying like these guys are really nagging each other what we love to bust each other's chops constantly that's oh, yeah. like what we love to do so, Carrie, that's kind of our strategy related right. to volunteering. And the people who lead our volunteers, we have a tiered structure of people who lead our volunteers, mm -hmm. kind of called coaches. Um, they are interacting with me consistently, and we're making sure that the volunteers are being led properly and have everything that they need, talking about vision constantly. It is very important to us at DHC. That's good. Tell me, um, how many did you need to launch? Like, what was your number? It's like, we don't have this many, we can't launch. Was it 18? or? Well, I would say, well, let's put it this way. Because we were blessed to find funding ahead of time. Right. We were able to launch with what we had. Gotcha. Um, but if we were, to be honest with you, we couldn't do what we were doing without that outside funding. Yeah. We couldn't do yeah. that. Um, but in terms of the volunteers to get the job done, we probably needed at least 10. Gotcha. At least 10. Okay. Because we've got a, we got a guy um, who professionally was a sound engineer for a church, and he's volunteering his time to run our mixer. That's I mean, it's cool. phenomenal. We have a girl who was a professional at doing kids ministry, and she's volunteering, um, helping to run point at the church. I mean, so we've been blessed to have really tremendous people volunteering at the church and helping us out. Let's talk about attendance. Uh, there was the big launch, and then Adam, you and I have had a few conversations. I said, hey, you know, I hope it's all up and to the right, but there's usually a dip. What did you guys experience? Well, Carrie, I want to tell you a couple of things. We haven't talked about our location yet. Oh, yeah. So let's go. we actually meet at the Museum of Discovery and Science in downtown Fort Lauderdale. So we meet at a kids museum. That's cool. We trailer pulls up at, you know, 630 in the morning every Sunday. We loaded in and loaded out uh, every week. And so week one was phenomenal. We had uh, over probably 150 people in the room up from 18, which was great. It was <laughs> it was the Highlight of my entire life, basically, other than my wedding. I wouldn't say that to my wife, but anyway. <laughs> so it was phenomenal. And week two, uh, afterward, I was, you know, On I don't ledge. know what I was looking for, but it was a ledge somewhere. Well, you know, what's yeah. funny is that, you know, Carrie, we all had breakfast at the Orange Conference. And you said, guys, listen, I want to give you a heads up. You could have 300 people opening day and you could have 20 the next week. You just need to be prepared for that. And so 
we had prepared ourselves for that. But when but, it but actually everyone happened, thinks we're the exception to the rule, right? Right. Oh, well, it's like, you know, but when it actually happens, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, what have we done? Yeah. Because I would say, I would say realistically opening day, we had probably 200 people. Sure. Gotcha. And the second week we had maybe 35. And I was Whoa. like, I was like, that was, that's what not, did we do? What's going on? And then the next week we were fine. We we're back up again. And today, you know, we average, we've got, let's call it 130 people on the rolls who are active attenders. And each Sunday we may see between 50 and 80. So, yeah. yeah so you very know. typical church plant. Very, yes. um, I mean, and, and that's great. I've got uh, around the time this podcast releases, we'll also hear from Lane Jones. And if you haven't listened to North Point, the early days, you got to listen to their incredible growth trajectory in the first three years from 3,000 down to 1,000 and then Good. back up yeah. to what they are today. Very few people know that aspect of most successful churches. We just assume it's all up and to the right, but it rarely is. And, and, you know, good for you guys for continuing to go and not letting that rattle you too much. Why do you think there was such a big launch and then that, that, that dip? Most we of had, our launch crowd were well-wishers, Carrie. They yeah. weren't actually attending Downtown Harbor Church. They came from out of town. Family and friends came who just wanted to see us do well. It was a very inaccurate place for us to begin. Yeah, you know, we just we had a similar thing a year ago. We moved into our new building at Connexus Church, and we had all-time record attendance. I think it was like, uh, I don't know, 1,500 or so. And then, and a lot of well-wishers, a lot of people, like everything from dignitaries to, you know, parents and out-of-town people and people who used to go to your church or whatever, who just wanted to see it. And then you have a dip and, you know, we were growing, but it took until the following Easter to surpass our uh, opening numbers. And so, I'm, you know, I'm incredibly grateful we did it, but, you know, you just, you have to get used to that and you're building a core, Really, sure. what you're doing. You're just continuing to build the core. And the people who were guests three months ago are now volunteering today. I would say two things, Carrie. For those listening, um, we're recording this at our six-month mark. Uh, Easter Sunday was last Sunday. Right. Um, and so what was cool about that was we had over 150 in attendance, and we had 30 kids. That's it huge. Like, and so it was so fun to be a part of. But we actually looked at each other after where we kind of rounded up the team and said – this is a reality for us now because these people who came today are not well-wishers. These are people mm -hmm. who are engaging with our church. That was a really exciting moment for us because opening day, as you've said about the Connexus new building launch, there's, there's just so many people who want to just come and see it and wish you well, and we were yeah. thankful for that, but it wasn't an accurate um, picture of what things would be like. It's good to know. Okay, you guys, you've talked about this a little bit, but reaching out to the community, you guys, that's pretty innovative in your model. What are, just quickly, a couple of the best things you've done trying to reach out to uh, your community? So one of the things that we want to focus on is not just sort of bettering the lives of the folks in Fort Lauderdale, but really helping local businesses grow. Um, oh, wow. And so, you know, <clears throat> there's this big movement in, depending on what city you're in, of, of being local. I mean, you know, mm. it's big in San Francisco, it's big in Brooklyn, it's big in Portland, and it's starting to grow here in Fort Lauderdale. And we wanted to be a part of that. And so one of the things that we do is we've partnered up with Argyle Coffee Roasters, which is one of the only coffee roaster in Fort Lauderdale that supplies beans to like the greatest coffee house in South Florida. And huh. so e each week we brew their coffee. We we don't advertise for them, but we partner up with them and we talk about, hey, you need to be involved with this coffee house. It's great. We talk about restaurants that we think people need to be going to. If there's a new event in the city, we promote that. 
It's just an idea of letting our folks know what's out there, what's happening in this city, and how to get involved with it. Because cool. people move to Fort Lauderdale, be involved in the shopping and the nightlife and the yachting industry. So let's bring that into the church. Let's talk about that. That's why they're here. Um, and so that's been a big deal for us, really talking about the community events, all that stuff that's going on. That's Adam, you want to cool. talk about yeah, talk about Walker, Adam. Oh, so uh, the other thing is, Carrie, is that we feel like people have learned very well how to be missionaries in foreign countries, but they've forgotten how to be missionaries in their own city. Yep. So we said as great as it would be to go to a foreign land and to provide help to people who need it, that that's not going to be something that Downtown Harbor Church does. So we wanted to find the closest local public elementary school to the church. We did. We went and met with them and found out that not only were they the closest in proximity to where our, the museum is, but that they were basically very, very much struggling. And so they received an F last year for the, I think the second or third years in a row, just right, yeah. third year in a row, John. And they basically fired all of their staff except for a couple of people. And so um, what we did was we went and met with them and said, we want nothing in return. We just want to know how our people can help you and the people who go to this school right where you're at. And so they have invited us to do things like be on field trips with their kids because a lot of the parents aren't involved, to speak at honor roll um, assemblies and to be there and to help serve breakfast to the kids. And so we are currently building and strengthening that relationship as well. That's great. Talk about other churches in your community. Have you found a lot of support from other churches or suspicion or competition, and you don't need to get super specific, but that's always a tension point. You know, those of us who have existing churches can feel threatened sometimes by startups. Well, here, I'll just say this. This is an unusual, you talk about competition. Uh, about a month ago, I was interviewed by a local newspaper about churches coming into the urban core. Now, when I right. say that, that means downtown Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and that's where we're located. And one of the questions the guy asked, and this is exactly how he asked it. He said, aren't you scared to plant a church so close to other churches? Hmm. And I said to the guy, I have to be honest with you. I'm a little confused why you would use the word scared because aren't we all on the same team? I mean, at the end of the day, all churches are on the same team. We're all trying to do the same thing. Uh, we just do it in different ways. And so, you know, we play very nice with other churches. Other churches are supportive of us. Um, we believe that, you know, if one church does well, it rises the tide for everybody kind of a deal. So I would say folks have been supportive of us, generally That's speaking. Good. That's good. Yeah. How do you guys keep up morale? How do you, when you see that huge dip and, you know, trying to get people to give and all that stuff and uh, needing a few more volunteers, how, how do you guys stay encouraged? <laughs> that's a, that's well, an interesting one because... John and I, we talk all the time, all day, every day. And we, we have, you know, we go through the ups and downs of seeing all of this from the, like the moment that we started. I would say, Carrie, that most people who are a part of Downtown Harbor, including staff, are extremely encouraged 99% of the time. That's good. Um, in terms of keeping morale up, I think we have to continually have conversations with each other about why we're doing this where our people are at and how to move them in a better direction. Um, and, and I just think it's about remembering the wins and the victories too, when morale does get low, but it's generally very high at downtown Harbor. We feel good about our morale. Yeah. I would say when it comes to attendance, we actually think that's kind of a temptation to get mm. sucked into that because we're not going after Christians. I mean, right. we're not, 
we are solely, I mean, not solely, but primarily going after folks who have had either a very bad experience with church or no experience with God. Um, and so we could sit here and tell you five or six amazing stories about people who are having transformational experiences at Downtown Harbor Church, and we focus on those stories. I mean, if we reach two people in one year, that's a, that's a win for us. I mean, really, yeah. at the end of the day, that's why we started this church. Um, and so that's kind of what we focus on. But like he said, our, our, our part-time people and our, and our uh, membership, they're just, they're blown away. They're having a great time. It's me and Adam who have to keep our morale up. <laughs> gotcha. What's been the hardest thing you've encountered in planting a church? Oh, that's a funny question. I would uh, say... <laughs> Carrie, I got a funny story for you as we go, talk about that. Go. So the museum is a very interesting place to be. Remember that week two I told you about that the attendance mm-hmm. dipped? Well, not only did the attendance dip, but we got into the building that day and there were literally people in air mattresses sleeping all over the stage and the floor and everywhere. So we called the museum and we said, can you help us to understand what's going on here? And we need to set up and load in. And they said, well, we have an overnight. We, nobody told you. I said, no. So families come into the museum and have overnights every now and then. And they bring pizza boxes and soda bottles. And it was just trashed. It was everywhere. So on week two, we are carrying garbage out to the dumpster. And while people are deflating their air mattresses, while we are loading in <laughs> to our space, yeah. it was the, like, it might have been the low point for me. That might yeah. have been it. That's but, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, and then 30 people show up. Right. Yeah, that's right. it. Exactly. But here's the funniest thing. You think about trying to, trying to put together a team, trying to raise funds, trying to find a building, come up with content. But by far, the hardest thing that we've had to deal with is trying to find a printer that communicates with an iPad for our children's ministry. <laughs> I, I, literally, we found a building faster than it, we found a printer that worked. I mean, we joke, but like seriously, that's been like the bane of our existence. Oh, that's one. This well, one that sounds like a pretty printer. good ride. What's been yes. the easiest thing? I had concern that coming up with content for sermon series was going to be very difficult. Hmm. Um, I knew Adam was a great communicator, but I just didn't know what that was going to look like. Sure. And I've got to say, thank God, that's actually been one of the easiest things that he's allowed us to do. I, yeah. I would totally agree that was going to be my response as well, because Carrie, we last year kind of sat with a whiteboard um, and just spitballed ideas for and an evening and basically came up with like the first two years of content for the church. Wow. And yeah, we, we got way far ahead and said, okay, let's talk about this year and this year and this year. And we've tweaked as we've gone along, but we asked ourselves, what do people need to hear? What do our friends and family who hate church and might actually come to this? What did they need to hear? And so we did that. And that has been a really cool process as we've written and mapped stuff out. And so I would also say that's been the easiest thing that we've dealt with. But the only reason it's been easy, I use the word easy loosely because it was still difficult to come up with all of it. But the reason I use the word or I say that as my answer is because so many people are so last minute. I met with another church planner locally who's a great guy and I'm keeping up with him. So we met for coffee and he asked me how far ahead I was. uh, how far ahead I was on content. And I told him, and I said, how are you doing on content? And it was Thursday and he was not ready to go for Sunday. He didn't know what he was talking about. Whoa. And so that I, so it was really cool because he told me he, him and his team did the exact same thing that we did. And they got a year out. He texted me pictures of their whiteboard session, which was really cool cool. because, um, and he's like, this is making things so much easier to know what I'm going to talk about. 
And I'm so excited he did because when you are last minute all the time, I just I just can't operate like that. I couldn't work like that. No, I, I can't either. I agree with you. What's the best thing you've done? We talked about hardest and easiest. What's the best thing you've done in these first six months? It was going out to coffee with a guy who came into the church and he's 35 and he said he's never been to a church in 20 years. He's coming because he feels like he needs something different with his life. And he found us on Google and he said that we looked actually normal. So he wanted to try us out. And he said to us in that cup of coffee that I'm ready to re-engage with church because I went as a kid. And then he said, let me stop myself. I'm ready to engage with church for the first time. And he is actually now signed up to be a volunteer on our welcome team. That's cool. For you, John, best thing you've done so far, best experience? I would say to, to the, the best thing we've done so far is to spend considerable amounts of time making sure our social media is just as good as it can be. It's, oh, it's the, cool. It is the most important thing that we do. Uh, it is the public face of the church. Uh, and I think far too many people do not spend enough time on social media making sure it's a quality product. And that is, and we're six months in, we have almost 1,100 followers on the page. You're kidding. Uh, on huge. average. On average, depending on, and the thing is about a post, like, you know, you'll put up a great post and it gets one like, mm-hmm. and then you'll put up some random one and it gets like a lot. Mm-hmm. I would say right now we're averaging anywhere from 50 to 400 likes per post only because we spend the time creating something that's worthwhile to look at. Is that promoted or that's organic? Well, number one, we never pay for any um, likes to the page. Right. But right, right. if you're listening as a leader right now, here's something you have to learn. You need to boost your posts. Gotcha. You need to boost your posts. Whether it's five bucks or 10 bucks, Facebook will not allow your people to see all your posts. Right. So you have to boost them. You have to boost. So them. you're doing some investment even in these startup days on boosted posts on Facebook. But that's good. Okay, we will link to your Facebook. Are you guys, what's your, your best channel so far? Is it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat? Facebook for sure. Yeah. Instagram second. Because okay. Carrie, another thing that you'll learn about us, especially as if people go on there and see our stuff on our website, it's soflowchurch.com. A lot of people assume that we're a millennial church. Mm. Oh, really? We are, we are not in any way. I would say our average age is 45. Um, really? We have people who are elderly. We have young people who come. We have teenagers. I mean, it is across the board, but the traits amongst these people are very similar. They are either disenfranchised with church or they have no experience with church at all. And so a lot of times people say to us, you know, if you really want to go after a younger crowd, younger people are not on Facebook as much. My response is we want all ages. So we're mm-hmm. going to go across every platform that we can. Gotcha. Yeah. So six months in, what advice do you have for somebody sitting there going, okay, I'm planning a church. What should I do? What's your top tip or two? I would say, number one, you've got to ask the question that we asked ourselves. Are you looking to simply preach or are you looking to create an institution? Because depending on how you answer that, your path is going to look quite different. Um, if you're looking just to preach, then you could just hire out you know, a school auditorium and preach on Sunday and that's it. But if you're looking to create a church, that's a whole different story. It's a whole different story. And you've got to ask yourself the question, who am I trying to reach? And do I have the talents or gifts in me to reach those particular people? And if I don't, who do I need to get on staff to reach those people? Gary, I would say I have two things that I would say are, is my advice or what, what I would tell someone who's looking to do the same thing. Number one, commit to be in it for the long haul if you're going to take the time to do it because 
the first three months can be brutal. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was not an easy thing those first three months, even though we were so excited, there were, there were low moments, um, Mm -hmm. but, but things have grown and we're so excited and people are coming. It's really cool. The second thing that I would say, this was the hardest decision that we made. We have two services from day one. Wow. And so we branded the first service, our 9am service, downtown Harbor church volunteers. I'm the volunteer guy. That's the only thing I've ever known and done. And so I knew that if our volunteers never had an opportunity to go to service, they were going to disengage. Furthermore, it was so important that our volunteers served every week to build relationships with kids who came. So we knew that those two things we wanted, that we had to create two services. So we say to people who come to our 9 a.m. service, hey, this is our downtown Harbor Church volunteer service. If you are not a volunteer, you're welcome here. But this is why the crowd is small, just because it's the way that it is. If you're looking for a bigger crowd, come to our next service at 1030. But we wanted our volunteers to have the opportunity to go to church. That's so good. We started with two as well. And I remember that first summer because we went through the dip, you know, by July or August, there were like 30 or 35 people at that first 830 service because that's when we right. could get the theaters. And I remember having conversations with people who said, why don't we just all throw it into one? Because there'd be like, you know, 150, 200 adults at the second service. And I said, because one day, first of all, we want a a forum for you. And secondly, one day we'll need the room. Correct. And it's true. Now we absolutely need the room. But don't get discouraged by that and be intentional. Well, this is great, guys. Give us the website again and where people can learn more. Yeah. So our website is soflowchurch.com. So that's South Florida, soflowchurch.com. And then Downtown Harbor Church is on Facebook. That's the best way to... Yeah, it's the best way to follow us. We'll have all the links in the show notes to guys, Adam, John. This has been refreshing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kerry. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us on and just allowing us the opportunity to tell you a couple of things that we have going on and that we're doing. And um, can't wait to connect again. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about our progress at some point. Yeah. So. And Kerry, I would say just to anybody out there, if they have questions like about giving or how to do this, they can reach out to us. I mean, oh, we'll, cool. you know, we're, willing, we're totally willing to help out. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks, Kerry. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Kerry. Take Bye-bye. care. Well, man, I found that conversation so encouraging. I hope you did too. And uh, next week, we are back. If you subscribe to the podcast, you will not miss it. We are going to sit down with Scott Meglin. Scott worked at Life Church for a while, and he is in the business of training up and developing more volunteers quickly. I know so many church leaders I talk to are just like, How do I develop more leaders more quickly? Scott's going to give you his secret sauce, help you with that. Uh, We got a lot of exciting guests coming up. We got Larry Osborne from North Coast Church coming up. Sticky Team, Sticky Church, fantastic books. Frank Beeler is going to be up. Um, We've also got Tony Morgan coming back on the podcast. Gavin Adams, Kara Powell, uh, Perry Noble is going to come back this fall. So best way to make sure you don't miss anything is just to subscribe. You can do it for free on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. And hey, if this is helpful to you, would you leave a rating and review on iTunes? That would mean so much. And almost 400 leaders have. And I'll tell you, when you leave a review, iTunes pays attention, puts this on the radar of other church leaders so you can help spread the love that way. Thank you so much. Can't wait to connect with you next week. And we'll see you then. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. 
You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.